Hey, welcome back. Attorney Chuck Shire over at the law firm of Shire and Ritchie in East Peoria. We do criminal and uh, personal injury. So if you or a loved one uh, finds yourself in need of a uh, an experienced lawyer, give us a call at 309-839-2024. Or you can check us out at the web at www.srtriallawyers.com. And uh, we have all kinds of um, uh, tools and information out there to, uh, to help you. We uh, do free consultations and uh, we will um, tell you how we can help. And if we can't help you, we will refer you to somebody who, who can. All right. So today we're going to kind of delve into um, how law can be a little different depending on some slight tweaks in facts. And a great example for that is retail theft versus a burglary. And in this example, we're going to talk about Walmart. And let's say we're stealing a flat screen TV from, from Walmart. Now, um, and, and in our example, you're going to steal the flat screen television while the store is open, okay? So you're not breaking into Walmart after hours, which would very clearly be a burglary. Um, but you're stealing the flat screen TV during uh, working hours. All right. Retail theft versus a burglary. So a retail theft is is a misdemeanor but a burglary is a felony, okay? So if a defendant, if a suspect or a citizen walks into a retail store and steals merchandise, what is the charge? I would think most people would tell you, well, that's retail theft. And well, it is, um, except the law says if you enter the building with the intent to commit the theft, now it's burglary. Um, now, that may not seem fair, um, and I don't necessarily think it's fair, so let's talk theoretical for a minute. Okay, theoretically, is there any difference in your mind about about when a person forms the criminal intent. Um, and here we have a very clear situation. The time in which I form my criminal intent is what pushes the charge. Now, forming criminal intent is important and we see it in other areas of the law a guy comes home and he finds his wife with another man. Now, he never intended, he never said, I'm going to kill Bob Jones today. But he comes home and he sees his wife with another man. He becomes immediately enraged and kills Bob Jones. Okay, well, is it first degree murder? Well, no, it's not. It's manslaughter, right? It is a um, it's a murder of passion. It's a second degree, but 
when did he form the intent? Well, he informed the intent immediately and acted upon those passions. We tend to delineate that from first-degree murder. Okay, so let's say in our same example, the defendant finds out that Bob Jones is having an affair with his wife and he formulates a plan to kill him in the morning and he does it. Well, now it's first-degree murder. Now, is that fair? Well, I don't know, the, but the law has said it is. The law has said that the moment in which you formulate your criminal intent is relevant to the charge, but is it really? Is it really fair? It, should you be punished less because you've come home and you've discovered the affair versus you wait till the next day. Um, the law says it matters because you had an opportunity to walk away, okay? So the law rewards, I know that's probably an odd way to put it, but in a sense rewards that opportunity to, to act calmly or punishes you if you had the opportunity to change your mind, but you didn't, okay? Does that make sense? I hope it does because with retail theft, what we're punishing here versus the burglary, we're punishing more severely. If you are sitting in your apartment and you and your buddy Billy Bob say, hey, let's go down to Walmart. They got flat screen TVs and we hatch a really cool plan and here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna put that flat screen in the uh, cart and we're gonna push it and then you're gonna pretend to have a slip and fall and while there's this big commotion, I'm gonna push the cart out into the uh, um, parking lot and shove it into my van and we'll have a free flat screen television. All right, so the law is gonna call that a burglary. They're gonna call it a burglary because you formed the intent prior to entering the building. Now, you might just look at that and say, man, that's another reason to hate lawyers. That's insane. But the law, again, is, is attempting to set rules for us to live by that also calculates this free will that is happening in our minds. Like we make what, hundreds, thousands of decisions each day. Some of them are voluntary, some are involuntary, right? Involuntary decisions, uh, we blink, we breathe. Uh, these are all things that are happening that our, that our body is, is doing, um, but they're, they're involuntary. There are voluntary decisions. Well, uh, am I gonna go to Hardee's or am I gonna go to Panera and have a salad? You know, these are decisions that, that we make. Well, the law is... Um, saying that if you had an opportunity to walk away from criminal behavior and you didn't take it, well, we're going to punish that, okay? So if you had an opportunity to decide to order the salad versus the only thing they were offering was the pizza, um, we, we're going to look at those two instances a little bit differently. All right. So in my example, you're sitting home, um, you and Billy Bob decide to go down to the Walmart and you're going to steal the flat screen TV. That's going to be a burglary because you formed the intent. Now, I want you to compare that to 
you and Billy Bob go to Walmart and you guys are going to um, get a couple of uh, boxes of Tino pizza rolls and a couple of two liters of uh, soda and a, and a case of bush light, right? And while you're there, you notice the flat screens. And you and Billy Bob look at one another and you start whispering to one another and you decide, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to pull it off. That is retail theft versus the, uh, uh, the, the, the burglary. And um, a burglary is a class two. Now, I, 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 a retail theft is, is a misdemeanor. That's a much smaller offense. A burglary is a felony and not just any felony. It's a class two felony. A class two felony, which can cause you a lot of problems if you have a prior class two or two class two convictions or greater. So if you have two prior class twos or greater, you are now sentenced as a class X offender. And that's six to 30 non-probationable. So just stop for a moment to think about how the exact same behavior where the decision was formed 30 minutes prior could end up, in my example, with somebody getting punished six to 30 in prison versus a misdemeanor charge. I mean, dramatically different outcomes, right? Is that fair? Well, um, you know, it may not be fair. Um, theoretically, one would say, if you're really concerned about it, don't go to Walmart and steal the flat screen. If you're really concerned about the fairness of it. Um, now, that does not help people who find themselves in that in that position. But what the purpose of this podcast today is to talk theoretically about how facts when applied to the law are very important because the facts begin to change different realities. Now you say, well, you know, Mr. Shire, how does this impact me? The government has charged me with burglary. It's a class two. Okay, well, I want to stop for a minute and have you think. How would the government prove the class two burglary versus the retail theft, right? How does the government prove that you and Billy Bob hatched a scheme 30 minutes prior in your apartment? Well, how could they possibly prove that? Well, I'm going to walk you through how they might prove that um, and how things interrelate with some other advice I give on other, other podcasts. All right, so how do we prove, how do governments prove criminal charges? Well, there's lots of different types of evidence. Let's, let's start with some obvious evidence. Eyewitness, right? Eyewitness evidence. Store employees, the loss prevention folks, uh, other customers. People are going to testify that they saw you pushing the flat screen television past the register. The loss prevention guy is going to testify that he stopped you out in the parking lot and you were putting this flat screen TV in your car. That is eyewitness testimony. Um, that's firsthand, that's direct evidence. 
there might also be surveillance video. Now, remember in one of my examples, I said, you and Billy Bob are there buying pizza rolls and beer and then you, you walk by a flat screen. Well, maybe on the surveillance video, we see Billy Bob patting you and waving you over and pointing out the flat screen. And we see on the video that you guys stand there and talk for 10 or 15 minutes and you look around. And so that type of evidence would be great evidence that the intent was formed in the store. When the intent is formed in the store, it's retail theft. When it's formed before you get to the store, it's, it's burglary. So that surveillance video would, would be evidence. What about the defendant's own admissions? Now, this gets to things that I've covered in other podcasts. Do not ever make a statement. Ever. Ever make a statement. Now, I want to delineate a couple of different things. Police come to your house because they're looking for a lost child or someone's lost dog or did you hear that auto accident that happened at the end of your block? We're trying to, you know, figure something out. Delineate helping law enforcement with a public safety thing. Of course, you're going to talk to the police. But If law enforcement is investigating you, you never talk to the police. And it goes back to the fundamental principle uh, that is on, that our entire criminal system is built on, that the government can take away your liberty when they can prove a charge without any of your words, without any of them. That makes us different from China. That makes us different than uh, being caned in the Philippines. You cannot be um, required to confess to a crime. That's that's a principle in uh, the American criminal system. Now, far too many people speak to the police when they're being investigated. Again, I want to delineate that from public safety issues and trying to help law enforcement solve crimes and, and, and protect the public. But when they're investigating you, I can't tell you how many people have hired us after law enforcement asked them to come down to the station. They do. Law enforcement asked them to make a statement. They do. They get arrested. They bond out. Then they come see us. Well, they say, well, I just thought I could go down there and clear it up. No, you, you, you don't do that. And <clears throat> one of the things I think is very important, people need to understand, if, if law enforcement can arrest you, if they think they have probable cause and a prosecutor who reviews the cases thinks that they can charge you and win, they don't need to meet with you. They don't need your statement only reason they're talking to you is not to get to the bottom of it to clarify. They're just trying to get you to confess. It makes the case much easier. So in my example, the defendant's own admissions, Miranda will attach at custodial statements. Custodial statements are when a reasonable person thinks that they're not free to go. So I take you, I put you in handcuffs and I stick you in my squad car. Do you think you're free to go? Well, of course you're not. Miranda attaches at that moment. You're in custody. You're in custody. So any questions 
that they may ask you what are called a custodial interrogation. You're not free to go. You're in handcuffs. You're at the police station. You're in a holding cell, okay? They have to say, you know, you, you have the right to remain silent. But if you waive that right, anything you say can be used against you in a court of law. They have to, they have to tell you that. All right, so let's go to our retail theft situation. They ask you questions and you say, well, yeah, Billy Bob and I, 30 minutes before we got to Walmart, hatched out this plan. All right, well, they're going to use that against you. So that would establish the burglary charge versus the retail theft charge. How about the co-defendant or the accomplice? How about that? How about Billy Bob talks to police? Billy Bob says to police, you know, if you don't charge me, I'll tell you it was his idea and we hatched it out at his apartment 30 minutes before we got there. So all of these are types of evidence that would be used to um, prove up this type of case. All right, so what would be the, the defense of this type of case? Well, you would defend this case on a fair, honest look at the evidence. Could the government prove, could the government prove that the intent was formed before you ever entered that store? Or did the, was the intent formed when you were at, in the store? Um, you know, we do see retail theft cases where um, mom, you know, <laughs> mother of four goes to Walmart and is doing the weekly shopping and she's got a basket full of groceries. And then as she's pushing through the cosmetic section, decides to help herself to... Um, a few hundred dollars worth of cosmetics or um, tries on some shoes and decides she's going to put her uh, old slippers uh, in her purse or, or leave them there in the dressing room and, and wear out some brand new shoes. Um, this is typically evidence of retail theft versus versus a burglary. You have some significant evidence that the, that the intent was formed in the store. Now, again, um, theft is theft. And, um, you know, theoretically, does it matter when one forms the intent? Well, when society has said it does, it does matter that we do understand that people make poor decisions, but people sometimes make those poor decisions in the moment. But if you've had an opportunity to walk away, to change your mind, and you didn't, there's something more to that criminal behavior. And, you know, if when you stop to look at it from that perspective, it does tend to make some sense that forming a plan before you get to Walmart does that is that behavior a more disturbing pattern of criminal behavior than the person who's in the store sees something can't afford it decides to stick it in their purse um you know the the legislature has said yes 
it it, it is. And so we're going to punish that that differently. You know, frankly though, in in my opinion, it's not. It's it, it just simply isn't. It is theft is theft is theft, and to make some type of uh, delineation that is so severe. I, I I would tend to agree more if the difference in severity wasn't um, wasn't so great to go from a misdemeanor to a uh, to a felony burglary charges it just seems heavy-handed now what do we normally see well the government would charge a burglary but they might also charge a retail theft as count two they might do that because they're going to look at you and they're going to say this case ain't going to trial you're going to plead the count two the retail theft and we're going to dismiss uh, count one, the the burglary charge, they would have some pretty heavy leverage over you. Well, and why would they have leverage? Well, because there are some real consequences with a felony conviction. If you were convicted of a felony, um, you're going to have some difficulty getting a job. That's going to be, um, you know, a mar on your record. You can't vote uh, if that's important to you. Um, and you're not supposed to have a firearm. All right. And, you know, there are some people who have felony convictions. They live in very dangerous neighborhoods and they have firearms um, because they live in dangerous neighborhoods. And um, if the government finds out about it, they're going to get charged with being a felon in possession of a firearm and the government's going to ask to put them in prison. So, you know, these these are really big deals um, factually. And sometimes people take pleas out of practicality. Um, You know, the government has a requirement to prove you guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That's their burden. The government has the burden of proving all the elements of the charge. You don't have to prove yourself innocent. You don't have to do a darn thing. Uh, the, The government has to do it. You know, and in fact, I've I've said that in opening statements and in closing statements. I don't have to do anything. Um, it's all on the government. And if the government can't prove it, if the government has no surveillance video showing you committing your theft, if they have no statements from anybody that tends to show that you hatched a plan before you got there, there's no way they could prove a burglary charge. Or, or at least, how are you going to get 12 people to agree that, yeah, this guy clearly formed the intent to steal whatever before they entered the store? Uh, and most prosecutors know that. They're not going to charge it like that. Or if they do, they're charging that to create the leverage, as I indicated before, uh, to get you to, uh, to plead to the retail theft. A lot of this is going to be heavily dependent on your prior criminal history. And I've covered this in a, in a, a other podcast. Your, your criminal history can come back to haunt you. And this, will, this is a prime example. If you have no criminal history and you steal something from Walmart, whether you planned it ahead of time or not, um, and I'm, I'm not talking about breaking in after hours. I'm talking about going in during working hours and, and, and stealing 
if you did that with no criminal history, the odds are, you know, there are exceptions, but the odds are you're going to be charged with the retail theft. Um, you know, but if you are a person who has a lot of, a lot of issues, uh, you've been in the system, you're a problem child, so to speak, um, you, you could find yourself with, with the burglary charge, even if the government thinks it might be questionable as to whether or not they can even prove it. Uh, they, they may use that with some heavy leverage, as I've pointed out earlier, your prior criminal history could could expose you to a class X sentencing, six to 30. They may charge you anyway um, because they're going to want to um, uh, expose you to that higher sentencing range. So if you've been uh, charged um, criminally, uh, retail theft or or burglary, I strongly suggest you retain counsel. You have somebody completely review all the facts so that um, um, this can be um, completely vetted and a defense plan can be created for you and we can uh, show you exactly how, how we could help you. So over at Shire and Ritchie in East Peoria, we're at 1009 Illini Drive in East Peoria. We can be reached at 309-839-2024, or you can find us on the web at srtriallawyers.com. Um, thanks for listening. Stay safe and take care.